This EHIV Review Podcast is presented by DKB Med Radio. Risk-based screening is problematic in adolescents in the primary care settings. There's an underestimation of patient risk and also a prevalence of HIV in the area. And then there's also an experience in treating patients with HIV and providing PrEP in young adult and adolescent populations. Adolescents and young adults engaging the vulnerable 20%. Welcome to this edition of EHIV Review. Adolescents and young adults, there are one out of every five new HIV diagnoses. What's the best way to reach them? How can we screen them more effectively? Why is their use of PrEP so low? What can clinicians do to better engage this vulnerable population? That's what we're here to talk about today with Dr. Luis Rubio from the School of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. For Dr. Rubio's disclosures and additional CME information, please go to our website, ehivreview.org, and select the Volume 2, Issue 4 link. I'm Bob Busker, Managing Editor of EHIV Review. Dr. Rubio, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's start right in with our first learning objective. Describe the recommended HIV screening protocols for adolescent populations at high risk of HIV infection. So take us to the clinic, if you would please, Dr. Rubio, with a patient scenario. We have a 19-year-old African-American female referred to your clinic for a new diagnosis of HIV. Prior to her diagnosis, she reports not being regularly tested for HIV and only tested after she was told of a recent exposure to chlamydia. So 19 years old, female, with recent chlamydia exposure. This patient does represent a particularly at-risk population, no? Yes, she does. Adolescents and young adults are still experiencing high rates of new HIV diagnoses. In fact, in the U.S., they made up 21% of new HIV diagnoses in the last national surveillance data. More than one in five new cases. What are the recommended strategies for HIV screening among these adolescents and young adults? The CDC and the United States Preventative Services Task Force recommends HIV testing for all adolescents greater than 13 years old in high prevalence settings as part of routine clinical care and all patients seeking care for sexually transmitted infections, but most are not screened. Most are not screened. Why is that? There's a couple of reasons. First, I'll start off that risk-based screening is problematic in adolescents. First, it's a restricted mainly in the primary care setting, so that implies that someone would need to have access to health care. Also, in the clinical setting, there's an underestimation of patient risk and also a prevalence of HIV in the area that a clinician could be practicing in. And then there's also an experience in treating patients with HIV and providing PrEP in young adult and adolescent populations. Now, I don't know if this is a sidebar conversation or not, but you brought up primary care. And we know that many of these at-risk adolescents and young adults, they, they don't have relationships with primary care physicians. When they have a health problem, they see a nurse practitioner in an urgent care center, or they go to a clinic in their pharmacy. These same concerns about risk-based screening, do they apply to those clinicians as well? 
Yeah, I would say that they still apply because one assumes having health insurance to be able to access a primary care clinic. Depending on the age of the adolescent or the young adult, they may be having a sort of transition part in their life, either moving outside of their home or going to a different place for college. So navigating a very complex medical system just coming out of high school or living in a more structured setting can be challenging for these patients to get plugged into primary care. There's a lot of evidence that we've gone into some of it here, and you go into it a lot deeper in your newsletter issue. A lot of evidence that points out that risk factor screening is just not working well enough to bring these high-risk individuals into care. What would you consider to be the optimal screening strategy for this population? Yeah, I would say universal screening would be the most optimal. We know that this works best in high prevalence settings for adolescents and can improve diagnosing HIV earlier on. As I described in the newsletter issue, there was a 2021 publication of an observational study done by most and colleagues, which compared two centers with and without universal HIV screening in pediatric emergency departments. And they had some very interesting findings. Well, now that study looked for missed opportunity events in early HIV diagnoses in adolescents. So summarize those findings for us, if you would, please, Dr. Rubio. Of course. So... Unsurprisingly, the center with universal screening had fewer missed opportunities encounters and, again, argues against risk-based testing. To get into the details of it, the proportion of missed opportunities at the pediatric emergency departments without universal screening was 8.3 per 10,000 encounters compared to 1.2 per 10,000 encounters at the county hospital with universal screening. So to summarize, pediatric patients who were going through emergency departments without universal screening went through that encounter without being tested for HIV when they could have been diagnosed at that point. So it was a huge reduction between the two strategies. This means that expanding screening in adolescents in this setting may lead to earlier diagnosis of HIV and linkage to treatment. It is also vital that those who continue to have risk factors for HIV to continue testing at least yearly. We've talked about risk-based screening. We've talked about universal screening. Are there other screening strategies that might improve HIV detection in this young adult and adolescent population? Depends on the prevalence of HIV infection in a particular area. Routine screening, which we've been talking about, means that everyone between the ages of 13 through 64 get tested at least once in their lifetime. And for those at high risk, get tested each year. And this works best in high prevalence settings. In areas of low prevalence, targeted screening may help identify concentrated epidemics within a community. The newsletter describes a modified partner screening method, which screens partners of recently diagnosed individuals with HIV. It also describes a social network approach, which focuses on specific groups at high risk of HIV within a community. These strategies may come with higher cost, however, can help engage marginalized populations. You brought up the costs associated with various screening methods, and and that's certainly an important consideration. But I'm afraid a detailed cost discussion is beyond the scope of today's podcast. However, I do want to point out that you explain the costs of screening in more depth in your newsletter issue, and I would urge any of our listeners who have not already done so to check out our current EHIV review newsletter. That's issue number three. And having said that, let me thank you for bringing us this case, Dr. Rubio, and ask you now to wrap things up by reviewing our discussion as it relates to our learning objective. 
Describe recommended HIV screening protocols for adolescent populations at high risk of HIV infection. What are the key things our listeners need to know? So first, recognize adolescents and young adults are a heavily impacted group by HIV and anyone above the age of 13 should be screened for HIV at least once. Second, young adults and adolescents at high risk for HIV should undergo more frequent HIV screening and be prescribed PrEP if eligible. Third, universal screening works best in areas of high prevalence. And finally, more targeted screening strategies may come with more cost, but are helpful in reaching less accessible populations. Thank you, doctor. And we'll return with Dr. Luis Rubio from UCSF in just a moment. We'll return to Dr. Rubio shortly, but first I want to tell you about another program from DKB Med you might be interested in. Health equality, and in particular, racial disparities in healthcare, is become a growing concern and with good reason. The evidence shows that African Americans are disproportionately impacted by HIV, with new HIV diagnosis rates eight times higher than whites. Prescriptions for PrEP also lag behind. What are the barriers to HIV treatment equality, and how can we overcome them? One step towards that answer is Fade Out HIV, an on-demand webinar hosted by Dr. William King, a Los Angeles primary care physician known nationally and internationally for his work in HIV-AIDS and his research on racial disparities and access to HIV care and treatment. The CME-accredited Fade Out HIV webinar is provided by DKB Med in partnership with the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, supported by Gilead Sciences, and is free of charge. Visit fade.dkbmed.com to watch the on-demand video. And now, back to Dr. Luis Rubio at Engaging the Vulnerable 20%. Welcome back to this EHIV Review Podcast. Our guest is Dr. Luis Rubio from the School of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco. We've been talking about recommended HIV screening protocols for adolescent populations at high risk of HIV infection. I'd like to turn now to our second learning objective. Explain how specific populations experience higher risk of HIV transmission due to lower uptake of pre-exposure prophylaxis, or PrEP. With that in mind, uh, if you would please, Dr. Rubio, take us to the clinic with another patient scenario. We have a 39-year-old Latino man who presents to your urgent care clinic with the new genital lesions. He reports he was notified that one of his new male partners tested positive for syphilis and that he should seek care. He's not regularly in care and is not currently taking PrEP on your history. An MSM, a man who has sex with men, who apparently is not consistently using condoms and who may have recently been exposed to syphilis. This is an individual who would seem to be at very high risk of HIV infection. How would you recommend the urgent care clinician approach this case? I think it's very important to take advantage of this visit and to use it as an important contact point for regular testing of other sexually transmitted infections hepatitis screening, HIV, and other important health screening tests. I also would want to investigate a little bit more of why they are not on PrEP. There are many reasons for patients not being on PrEP despite being at high risk for HIV. So I take the time to ask why and see if there's a way that you could address this. Since we know that there are a lot of barriers to obtaining PrEP, and it can be as simple as somebody just not knowing that PrEP is available to them. So this visit provides an educational opportunity to go over the benefits and risks of PrEP. And also other common barriers that may come up include affordability, 
access to healthcare, and even social stigma from friends and family. So I would use this visit as a point to educate them about PrEP and see if you can address any of the common barriers that prevent them from accessing PrEP. What do we know overall? Which specific populations experience lower awareness of PrEP? So a recent MMWR showed Latinx populations showed lower PrEP awareness compared to non-Hispanic white populations. In addition to Latinx populations, other populations demonstrated lower awareness of PrEP, such as non-Hispanic African-Americans, women, and those above the age of 50. Even geography was a risk factor for lower awareness of PrEP and referrals, with people who reside in the southern United States had the lowest level of PrEP awareness. And in addition to lower PrEP awareness, Latinx and non-Hispanic African-Americans were also less likely to obtain a PrEP referral after they were screened for HIV. They're less likely to obtain a PrEP referral? Why is that? What do we know about why the clinicians treating these individuals are not offering to arrange PrEP? Yeah, there's some conflicting evidence on that, but speaking from my own opinion, I suspect that there are both provider and patient factors leading to this gap in referrals. For example, in adolescents and young adults, there may be a lack of provider knowledge or discomfort prescribing PrEP, as one study of primary care physicians showed that only 37% of clinicians were somewhat or very familiar with PrEP. Furthermore, in the MMWR we just discussed, it is also worth noting referrals were higher for persons who tested in a healthcare setting compared to non-healthcare settings. So increasing PrEP navigation from non-healthcare settings may help get people to PrEP. I'm not sure what you mean about healthcare versus non-healthcare settings. Uh, can you give us an example? So non-healthcare settings include community-based organizations that offer rapid HIV tests within a community that where people may be at higher risk for HIV. They're not formal clinics or within a healthcare system, so they provide the rapid HIV test and with the results kind of act from there. So the linkage part is missing in the non-healthcare settings because it's not connected to an actual clinic. Now that clarifies it. Thank you. Now, you also mentioned patient awareness factors. I was really curious why Latinx persons had less awareness and uptake of PrEP. And I was actually able to find a survey that was done in Los Angeles by Brooks and all amongst Latinx men who have sex with men. So these authors actually noted that predictors of lower awareness included education levels. So people who were educated at the high school diploma or GED level or less had lower awareness of PrEP. Monolingual Spanish speakers were also associated with lower awareness for PrEP, and even immigration status was associated with lower awareness of PrEP. I want to stay on this point for another moment or two. This lower awareness of PrEP, what impact does it have on these populations? What do we know? We know that PrEP is a highly safe and effective drug in preventing HIV in those at high risk. So PrEP usage has increased over time. You know, about 23% of people eligible for PrEP were prescribed PrEP, but the coverage is not distributed equally amongst groups with only about 8% of eligible African-Americans being prescribed PrEP and 14% of Latinx individuals were prescribed PrEP and were eligible for it. 
2019 national HIV surveillance data showed that African-Americans and Latinx populations made up the largest percentage of new HIV diagnosis and had the highest HIV case rates uh, per 100,000. So to me, that shows that these are the groups that are having a higher rate of diagnosis of HIV and are the ones that are not getting enough access to PrEP that is effective in preventing HIV. And then PrEP also provides indirect benefits, such as frequent HIV testing, which will allow for earlier diagnosis and linkage to care. So without this structure, it can lead to continued transmission of HIV in disproportionately impacted populations and higher morbidity from HIV with late diagnoses. Uh, One final question, Dr. Rubio. Based on your research, based on your knowledge as an educator and as a treating clinician, in your expert opinion, What else can be done to decrease HIV transmission in the particular at-risk populations we've been talking about today? In addition to PrEP, HIV treatment as prevention is another way of reducing HIV transmission in these populations. We know from HPTN 052. HTPN, that's the HIV Prevention Trials Network. That's right. It was a landmark study that demonstrated early antiretroviral treatment in serodiscordant couples led to reduced transmission, leading to the principle of undetectable equals untransmissible. National data from 2019 showed similar disparities in viral suppression in African-Americans and Latinx populations. They had lower rates of suppression compared to non-Hispanic whites. In addition to HIV treatment as prevention, other methods to reduce HIV transmission is based on patient-specific risk factors for acquiring HIV. So I personally take a harm reduction approach. So I provide condoms to patients at my visits. For patients who inject drugs, I ensure they have access to a clean needle exchange program. And also for patients with substance use disorders, I provide them counseling and refer them to appropriate treatment as indicated, because as we know, these populations are also at higher risk of HIV acquisition. Thank you, Dr. Rubio, for bringing us this case and for sharing your thoughts. Let's wrap things up now by returning to our learning objective. Explain how specific populations experience higher risk for HIV transmission due to lower uptake of PrEP. What are the most important things our listeners should take away from our discussion? First, recognize that PrEP use is not equally distributed across all populations. Second, identify and address barriers leading to decreased PrEP awareness and referral, such as knowledge gaps, healthcare access, stigma, language, and cost. Utilize HIV testing as a gateway for PrEP education and referral. Finally, early PrEP referrals and more frequent HIV testing across populations can help address disproportionate impact of HIV in certain populations. From the Department of Medicine at the University of California, San Francisco, Dr. Luis Rubio, thank you for joining us for this EHIV Review podcast. Thank you for having me. For EHIV Review, I'm Bob Busker. To receive CME credit for this activity, please take the post-test at ehiv.dkbmed.com. EHIV Review is supported by educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Janssen, and Vive Healthcare. The opinions and recommendations expressed by faculty and other experts whose input is included in this program are their own. This enduring material is produced for educational purposes only. EHIV Review is copyright with all rights reserved by DKP Med LLC. Thank you for listening.